0: Welcome to another episode of the More God Bless Me podcast. My name is Justin Lee, and if this is your first time listening, I'm glad to have you here with me today. This is also the first time that I'm doing video through our YouTube channel on this podcast. We've been posting the podcast to YouTube for quite a while, but this is the first time that everything's lined up and everything's been here that we've been able to do video, so I'm super excited about that. If you're only listening to the audio version, no worries. You're not going to get any special video cues or anything like coming and listening to the video, but... We do now have a video one because I know that that's how a lot of people find podcasts, and that's how a lot of people like to enjoy podcasts. They like to watch a person teach, explain, talk, and things like that. And so we're glad to be able to add the video to this. And it also means that you'll be able to follow us on social media platforms like Instagram at More God Less Me Podcast, where we'll be posting sh- uh, shorts or I guess reels on Instagram. But we'll be doing more short form content where we take this podcast, cut it up, and we're able to get and use clips for our other social media platforms that way you don't have to watch maybe the whole podcast but you can watch clips and see little parts that you may find more interesting and hopefully on the youtube channel we'll be able to clip some things out as well in the future but we're just glad to be able to finally do this video version of the podcast though i have to say before we get started that this is going to show my one secret of the podcast and that's that i do use pretty detailed and pretty intense notes to do this podcast you could almost say a script because i try to have everything that i want to say in my notes because a teaching podcast like this is so important. And I know there's lots of people who are way more talented and way smarter than I am who can just sit down with a camera and a microphone and go to town and do a great lesson. But I'm not at that level, and maybe I one day will be, but we're just not there yet. And so I want to come with the best notes that I can, so that way I can give you guys what God's laid on my heart and be able to stay on track, on subject, and not repeat myself over and over again. Because I'll be honest, I know myself, and I have a big tendency to do just that. I have a tendency to repeat. I have a tendency to go back and forward. And oh, wait a minute, I wasn't even gonna talk about this, but here's this thing. And so the notes really help me keep on track, which you are probably gonna notice me looking over here to my side and kind of reading off some notes but I'm going to try to keep my eye contact with you guys. If you're listening to the audio version, you're never going to probably know that anything's different. But for those of you on video, before you start writing in the comments that I have notes, yes, I 100% admit to having notes. I'll never claim not to have notes because I think that the things we talk about of God are too valuable not to have notes, not to go off of a script when I'm trying to teach something important and something as important as what you read in today's title because we are going to talk about the book of Revelations. That title is correct. We're going to dive into this subject because I want to shake up your preconceived beliefs and understanding of this book and even some of the subjects that are in the book. I want to help you guys to understand that the book of Revelation is more than what a lot of people say that it is. But from the start, I want to be very clear that I'm not going to dive into the depths of prophecy and trying to show you the signs of the end times or who the Antichrist is going to be. I'm not getting into any of that. If you want to find that information, there's plenty of it online. There are plenty of people who, again, are much smarter and much better at this than I am, and who have studied that prophecy in such a great detail that they're who you should be listening to. And so I'm not, in this episode especially, going to try to talk about those things. That's that's just not where I'm at. Those things are worth talking about. They're important, and you should seek those things out, those topics, if you want to know more about them, because it's important things from the Bible that we should know and we should understand. But... I hope today to do something much simpler. I want you to understand that the book of Revelation is not dark, it's not scary, and it's not something written by a vengeful, judgmental, evil God, as the world would tell you that it is. Because that's the perception that the world really has. And even a lot of people in the church avoid the book of Revelations because they share this very same perception. But it's one that we don't need to have. This isn't a perception of the Bible worth having because it's not accurate when we look at these things through the lens of Scripture. So it's time that people, and especially the church, really come to understand what the book of Revelation is, why we have it, what it talks about, and just how it came to be. We need to understand why it's a blessing that God has given us the book of Revelation and look beyond what we might find intimidating or scary because some of those things do get into the bio, do do exist in the book of Revelation, and we'll get into that in a minute. But hopefully this podcast is going to help people to understand that better, help you to understand that better, at least in some small way. Maybe it'll cause you to at least want to read the book of Revelation for the first time yourself, which I highly, highly recommend that you do. Because when I read the book of Revelation, I don't see an angry, hate-filled book produced by a judgmental God. What I see is the book that closes out the Bible, and it's a message of love from our all-loving God. That's what we have in the Bible. In fact, it's in the book of Revelation that we learn a lot about the, God, the love that God has for all people. Because if God didn't love us, and if He didn't love the world, then I don't believe that He would have given us the book of Revelation. If God didn't have a desire to see people saved, then why would he warn them about the impending doom for those who are not saved, for the perils that lie ahead? Why would God give us a book that warns us, that tells us to repent, that calls us to repentance, if he didn't intend for people to heed that call and repent? But that's exactly what the book of Revelation does, and that's exactly what God has given us. God has given us a warning of things to come, a special message to his people and to those who don't yet know him, to turn from their sins, to live a righteous lifestyle, so that they may not face the perils of the judgment, of tribulation, and of hell. That's what God has given us in Revelation, and it stood through the ages as a warning to all people about the future awaiting those who refuse to turn to God. I like to think of it personally as a warning label for life, because that's what God's really given us. He's given us a warning label for life, for the life that we have the option of living. It's, it warns us about things, just like a warning label exists to warn you about the adverse effects of a certain product, based on how you use it. The book of Revelation, in like manner, stands to show us that how we use our life can result in adverse effects on our eternity. That's what God's trying to do. But what's interesting is that when a product puts a warning label on its product, no one's offended. Nobody gets offended when Clorox gives you a warning label about bleach. If it says, do not consume it, we're thankful, because we think, oh, I guess I'm not going to be consuming that. But then God warns of a future that awaits the lost and shows them a way that they can be saved, and people are offended, they're annoyed, they're upset that a God would exist that would do such things or say such things. But all they're, all God is trying to do is warn them, is to tell them. It's the very people living in sin that are often the most upset about being warned of where their life taking it. It's almost as if you went up to somebody who was about to walk off a cliff and said, hey, whoa, 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 you're about to walk off the cliff and they got upset at you for saving their lives. God's trying to save souls for eternity, but people are upset about it. They're upset that they're being warned about where their sinful path is going to take it. God can't even open their eyes. He hopes to warn people, to call them to Him and to open their eyes and to free them from sins, but still, they don't hear it. Now, As I said earlier, it cannot be denied. There are some rough things in the book of Revelation. The language that God uses is both hard and direct. And so let's look at a few of those passages. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 8 through 9, it says, The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Revelation chapter 9, verse 3 through 6 says, Then the smoke came. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power, like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. And those are only two of the trumpet judgments. There will also be seven vials filled with what Revelation describes as the wrath of God that are going to be poured out on the earth. And these are going to cause plagues, such as what we read in Revelations chapter 16, verse 2, which says, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Revelation also describes the final judgment, in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it for his presence for his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened then another book was opened and which is the book of life and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the death who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if any man's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Those are some harsh languages, and we can't deny that. That, I don't know about you, but those are things I definitely don't want to experience in this life or for all eternity. I don't want to experience the pains, the troubles, the sorrows that those verses describe. But they're in our Bible, and they're the words that God uses to warn people. And we have to think about the importance of what God is saying to us through those verses, because, of course, he is using strong language. There would be no other way to describe what the end times in hell are will be like, we think we know what hell is today. Oh, it's hot as hell outside. No, it's not. Unless you've sat in a furnace or a wood stove full of flaming logs and embers that never runs out, then you can't experience the heat of hell. Or I've had a hell of a week. No, you've not because you weren't tormented 24 hours a day for seven days straight this week. And that would be a reprieve for those in hell who have to face it for all time. And eternity. That's why God uses that harsh language. It's a reality. It's a truth. And it's something that we should all want to save ourselves from. And not that we can save ourselves, but we do have the opportunity to accept the salvation of God that's already been offered to us. And we also have to understand that God uses this language and he's so firm and so truthful in it because he cannot lie. And that means that he's not going to try to attempt to hide the truth either. God has to give us the best understanding possible about the true perils of the end times and hell, so every person is going to recognize their need to repent before it's too late. And still, even this doesn't work on the sin-hardened hearts and minds of so many people. God's giving us this firm language in the hopes that people will be saved, in the hopes that lives will be touched and changed by what he is telling them. But it still doesn't work. Oftentimes, God does this with the best intention, but hardened hearts by sin are not willing to accept the truth, the message, and the love that God is trying to give them. So why do we think that if God had used PC language or had attempted to try to not offend anyone, that it would have worked any better than what he's already doing? With having John write, hey guys, just wanted to give you a heads up, things are going to get pretty bad. Uh, so I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't do, but maybe think about changing. Do we really think that that language would have worked better than what God has already given us in Revelation, detailing the perils that is going to be a reality? These are not figments. These are not false statements. These are God warning us through prophecy of what's going to happen. And if you've read the Bible, if you know anything about biblical prophecy, what God says will pass always comes to pass, and this will be no different. Our world needed the truth, and thankfully that's exactly what God provided them. God gave us the full truth, unadulterated, unedited, uncensored, because people needed to hear it. I can understand how people misinterpret this, how they can misunderstand what God intended, how they can misunderstand the entire book of Revelations. It's easy to get taken off guard by the realism that exists in this book and to miss the fact that this book is not saying, look at all I'm going to do to you. I know it can feel that way. It can feel as though Revelations is like, look, this is what I'm going to do to you. But that's not what I believe God intended to say. What it's really saying is, please, please, please. Don't let this future be yours. Don't let what the reality that I'm describing be what you were forced to face for all time because there is a better way. Please reconsider your ways and change your life so that you can spend eternity in perfect peace. In Revelation, we see God warning and really crying out to everyone to change because he wants all people to be saved. He doesn't want to see any perish but for all to come to the knowledge of truth. These are two truths that we don't just have to infer, we don't have to try to come up with a reason to believe this. It's not like a lot of modern doctrine and things like that that people have inferred from the Scripture and tried to figure it out for themselves. No, these are truths from the Bible. First Timothy chapter two verse four says, "Who desires all people? Who, being God, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. That's God's desire." And in like me, meter in like manner, Peter says in Second Peter chapter three verse nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's desire and God's reason for have not having come back yet to take his church is that he wants to see as many souls saved as possible, as many people saved as possible. That's God's greatest desire. He wants everyone to be saved, and he does everything he can do within his power to, while still allowing us to have freedom to make that happen. In this case, God is giving us a detailed book of exactly what will one day happen to both the the lost and the redeemed. And that's a fact that that often gets mis misused overlooked. I think might be a better way to say that that that's a fact that often gets overlooked. Revelation doesn't just speak to the what the lost is going to face. It doesn't just talk about peril and suffering. The book of Revelation details about the glory that awaits the redeemed. I mean, if we look at Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And then you have Revelation 21, chapter 21, verses 22 through 23. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the, its lamp is the Lamb. Revelations 22, verses 1-5. through 5, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, which its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed thing, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. These passages expose the other side of Revelation that often gets neglected the side that's bright, happy, hopeful, telling of a better future, a better tomorrow. Everything God does is with purpose, and the book of Revelation is no different. God, in this book, makes a point to show both sides of the future that lies ahead. Doing so makes a very strong statement, one that we can see clearly if we take the time to look for it. Continue to live in sin and follow the leading of the devil, and you will face peril. But know that it doesn't have to be that way, that you don't have to live in sin. Tribulation and hell do not have to be your future. You can make a choice to repent and follow after God and experience the unimaginable splendor of heaven. Revelation doesn't just focus on the good or the bad. It shows the contrast between the two so that everyone can see where their lifestyle is leading them and give them the opportunity to correct the course while there is still time. If that's not love, I don't know what is. But even though we can easily see God's love in Revelation, this still doesn't answer the questions that it raises that cause so many people to stumble, such as, why is the punishment so harsh? Why does God punish people he claims to love in this way? Or why doesn't God just save everyone, good or bad? These are real questions, and I would even say common questions in our world today. In fact, I imagine some of you listening to this podcast right now may have had these very same questions yourself or have them currently and are too afraid to ask somebody about them. And personally, I think these are great questions. I think they're questions worth focusing on. I think they deserve to be answered more often in the church today than they often are. Because these questions are not as difficult as they seem. Yes, these are the questions that the devil sows in your mind. These are the questions that atheists want to use to disarm Christians. But the truth is, these questions are not difficult. The answers are not hard to find. We simply need to open our Bibles and search for them. In our Bibles, we find truth that stands strong in opposition to the way the world views hell and the enemy, a view that I really struggle to understand because it's anything but biblical. And even worse, I don't understand why this isn't talked about more because the church today, in the church today, because as countless Christians seem to share these same views of the world, believing lies such as God created hell to punish mankind, or that the devil will rule hell and torment those sentenced to eternity there. There's no truth in these thoughts. Those are lies or fiction. You find them in movies, TV shows, books, and music, but they're not true. The devil doesn't have a pitchfork and a, and a st- weird tale. The devil isn't red. None of that's biblical. None of that's biblically founded. The devil is not going to be, do those, be doing those things. Those are figments. They're lies created. The devil, I think, wants you to think that it will be a party in hell, that it's going to be a great, fun time, and that you won't want to miss it. You're going to want to be there, but that's not true. That's not what hell is going to be like. Our Bibles tell a much different story, and it starts in the fact that the devil was created to glorify God, just like all creation was. Even the creation you see around you, the beauty and the splendor of nature, are all created to give glory and honor back to God. That's how and why he created those things. But again, God created the devil to glorify Him. We read in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 14 that Satan wasn't content to live that way. He wasn't content to just glorify God. He wanted to become God. And starting at verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 14, it says, "How you were fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you were cut down to the ground, You who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you were brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. The devil wanted to be like God. And it was because of this sin that the enemy and the other angels who stood with him It was because of this that hell was created. Jesus provides this insight for us in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice it doesn't say prepared for you. That's what we think a lot of times. I actually just really thought about that. A lot of people would say that that verse means, Look, you who... But depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for you. That's the way we almost want to finish that verse, but that's not what it says. It says clearly in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Please look it up for yourselves. It says, The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I emphasize this because this verse is so very important. It makes it clear that God's intention when creating hell was not to punish mankind. It was meant to punish the devil. And that's the other truth of Scripture that the world seems to miss. The devil is not going to be the one doing the tormented. He will be the one being tormented. He will not have the freedom to rule in heaven. He will not have the ability to touch a single soul (coughs) or touch a single person. He will not be the one doling out the punishment. The lake of fire itself will be the one doing that. I'm going to have to take a drink because this is video now. We're just stuck with it in the audio, too. But that's the honest truth. Hell was created for the devil. And because of that fact, we know that he will not be the one doing the tormenting. But that he will be one of those being tormented. Hell is his punishment, not his kingdom. And we know this not just because of that verse, but because of another verse in the book of Revelation, verse chapter 20, verse 10, and it says, And the devil who had deceived them, the devil's a deceiver, he tries to convince you that his way is right and truthful, he wants you to think that hell is a fun playground for sinners, but it's not. He- the devil who had deceived, who is currently deceiving, the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. They're not in charge of hell. They're not leading a seance, a cult, or anything like that. They are eternally going to be facing torment. That's what hell has in store for the devil. That's what his eternity will be for all Time He has no other role but to receive the eternal punishment he brought upon himself when he chose to turn away from the purpose he was created for and to try to become God himself. Had he been content in his position, much of what we see about hell and revelation and those things in the Bible and sin would not be the way that it is. But the devil was not content. Now, this doesn't answer every single one of those questions we mentioned earlier. In fact, it kind of changes if not raises some questions. Because if hell wasn't created for people, then why does God send people to hell? It's another great question and it's one that deserves a good answer. God created mankind, mankind. God created mankind to be in communion with him. That's what God created mankind for. We read in Genesis how before the fall of man, God would walk in the garden with of Eden with Adam and Eve. That's the relationship God wanted with his people. He wanted to be in close relationship, but God also created us with completely free will, giving us the ability to do anything that we choose. Not even God will stop us from doing what we desire in ourselves to do. That's what it means to have true free will. We have the full autonomy to do anything and everything that we want to do. We can do it. We can do whatever we want. Nothing's going to stop you from living the lifestyle that you want to do, whether it's righteous or whether it's sin. Nothing can stop you from what you decide to do in your mind. That's what we have to realize. That's the free, unadulterated will that God has given us. And without free will, it would have been impossible for us to have the real relationship with God that He desires, because we would not have had the opportunity to choose, making us nothing more than robots following our programming. But that's not what God wanted us to be. God didn't want us to be autonomous. He didn't want us to be robots. He didn't want us to be following a program. The same free will, though, that God gave us because He wanted that relationship with us is what made it possible for us to be susceptible to sin and to be deceived by the enemy that's how it works god had to give us free will otherwise our relationship with him wouldn't be authentic it wouldn't be real it wouldn't be general but that same free will is what made it possible for sin to enter the world through adam and eve because they had desires within them they were able to choose what was wrong and have that in their hearts and their minds and sin separates us from God, because God being fully righteous cannot be partnered with unrighteousness. And that's what we see in the garden. The devil deceived Eve using the same wicked desire that he had that had, that he had to be like God. That's what the, the whisper was in her ear. You'll be like God if you eat this fruit. That's what he told her. And she believed it, and she wanted it. And she took a bite of that apple, and sin entered her. And then this sin was followed by Adam partaking of the fruit as well. And it caused them to be removed from the garden and separated from God. Sin entered the world that day, and it's truly never been the same since. The world has never been the same since sin entered the world through the first man and woman. Separated them from God. In their sin, they separated themselves from God. It was a desire not to serve the God of heaven, but to to become the God of their own lives. Sharing in the sin of the devil that caused hell to be created in the first place, and that's really the key. When we share in the sins of the devil, when we act in wickedness, we make ourselves eligible like he did for hell. When people make decisions to feed their sinful pleasures, they believe they're walking in freedom. The Bible teaches, though, that they're the ones who are trapped, and they're caught in the snare of the devil, They're doing His will and storing up a punishment for themselves. And that's the way every one of us once lived, believing that we were living for ourselves when in reality we were simply following the leading of the devil straight to an eternity in hell. The truth is that it's only by God's grace and love that we don't have to face the punishment for our past sins. I hope you realize that. Because God made a way that anyone willing to change their lives and follow Him in righteousness can receive salvation. Through the blood of Christ, all people can change their destination from hell sorry, from hell to heaven. And because God so loved the world, understand that God isn't sending all because God so loved the world. We have to understand that God isn't sending or forcing anyone to hell. We all forge our own path based on the choices we make in free will. The choice of heaven or hell is ours to make. The law is written on our hearts. That's what the Bible says we know right from wrong. We would call it the conscience. But we know the difference between right and wrong. We know because God gave us that feeling, that understanding. That's what God's given us. No one is going to die without the chance for salvation. As we read earlier in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 God is yet to return for his church because he's giving everyone every chance to be saved. No one has to go to hell. Ultimately, we decide who we are going to follow and we choose to follow. Who we choose to follow will determine where we end up. Follow the devil in sin and wickedness and you will end up in the same place he ultimately will, which is hell. Or you could choose to follow the Lord in righteousness and join him in the place that he has prepared for you in the splendor of heaven. I think the choice is easy, and what a blessing it is to have the choice. When you think about it, the question shouldn't be why does God send people to hell? Because he doesn't. He is the one sitting on the judgment seat, yes. But his judgment is based on the life each individual chooses to live. A better question would be why does God allow people to go to hell? Because we make the decision on where we're going to go, but God does allow it to take place. He allows it to be the decision of our own. So why does he allow that? And the answer to that is quite simple. He's not going to prevent anyone from expressing the free will that he's already given them. God's not going to block you from the free will that he gave you. He's going to allow you to express that free will in whatever way that you choose. Now you have to understand that he's put many roadblocks in the way as many as he possibly can through offering salvation, telling every believer to share their faith with everyone, raising up teachers, preachers, evangelists, and missionaries, inspiring ministers to write books, launch radio stations and TV channels, showing himself in creation, pouring out blessings on all people, and by providing the Bible, which includes the greatest warning about eternity, that we have, the book of Revelation. That's how God works. He stops us from nothing. By force, But he will put every roadblock he can in our way in the hopes that we will take notice of them, hoping we will recognize one, stop, and turn back to see him. God has done everything he can do to save people from the perils of hell without taking away their free will. And when you think about it that way, it's actually quite amazing what God has done. God has said, look, watch, see, here's everything that you need to know, but you still have the freedom to choose. God loves you. That's what we learn in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that all those who believe shall not perish but receive everlasting life. That's the promise that God gave us. And we got more promises than just that. I mean, the book of Revelation in its own right is a promise. It's God crying out, I love you, please turn, change, and allow me to save you. That's why it's so sad to see people still accuse God of being evil or cruel when He's already done more for the whole of mankind than any one of us would have done for someone else or even ourselves. God has given us so much, and He didn't have to give us anything. He could have left us to die in our sins, but His love for us was too great. Just think of the blessing that it is that God not only made a way for us to be saved, but went one step further by providing the book of Revelation, a book that details just how important our salvation is. Revelation is a message of love that only helps us to further understand the great love we see displayed through the Bible. Sadly, the misuse of this book in the church for centuries has caused both it and the God who gave it to be seen in the wrong light. That's why we're here. That's why it is the way it is, because Christians for too long have used this book as a weapon against the very people were called to help. Using it to force and frighten people into repentance. Turn or burn. Preach the hellfire and boil them to heaven. I don't know what the goal was, what the plan was, but people have been preaching in this way. They've been tearing people down, attacking people, and yelling at people in the hopes to save them. And I'm not there's, there's fervency in prayer, there's fire in prayer, and there's a right way and a wrong way to use the book of Revelation. And when we use it more as a weapon than a tool, we're using it in the wrong way. Even the language that we use, we shout for emphasis. We don't shout to frighten or scare. We're apostolic. We're Pentecostal. We're people who are loud and proud and happy and excited to preach the gospel message, but we don't do it to scare people to hell because scaring people to hell doesn't keep them in heaven. It only works for a night, for a time, and it's been going on for far too long. And it's the reason that people listening to this right now don't understand the book of Revelation in the way that they should. It's the reason that our world sees our God as evil, because people have painted him in that light by their presentation of his word. When you read the Bible for yourself, you do not see a hateful, evil, greedy, mean, arrogant God. What you see is a God who loves and cares every step of the way and wants nothing more than a close, intimate relationship with the people he calls his own. That's what you see in the Bible, but it's because of misuse that many don't see that. And a lot of the people who misused the Word of God, misused Revelation, did so with well-intending hearts. They didn't set out. To tear down things. They hoped to reach people for God, but it didn't work. In a lot of ways, it did more damage than good, and that's the thing that we need to learn moving forward as the church today. Let us not make the same mistakes that our forefathers made, but let us learn and change and adapt and reach the culture. The truth doesn't change, but we can change to find the best way to take the fullness of truth to every person who needs to hear it. If it didn't work before, if it's what got us in this place to begin with, that people don't know God, want to be as far away from God as possible, then it's not the same methods that we should be using. But we should be using the Word in the best way to reach the people. We don't change the doctrine. We change the method and the outreach. And there's damage done in the world today that those of us living in the last days must do our best to correct before time runs out. It's time to use the book of Revelation as I believe God intended it. As one more tool on our belt to reach a lost and dying world. Something given to us by God to take the life-saving message of Jesus Christ to all people. It's interesting to think that we are given weapons and armor from God. Those things are detailed greatly in the Bible. But what's not told in the Bible is that we are to use them on the lost. Our weapons, our armor, our shields are not things that we are told to use against the rest of mankind, we are only told to use them against the spiritual powers that we are at war with. It's all right here for us in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly Places. So to pause there briefly, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Too much time has been spent in the church trying to fight against flesh and blood. We need to be taking on spiritual things, on principalities that we cannot see but we know exist because the Bible tells us about them. If we want to arm ourselves with weapons and if we want to use them, we need to use them in the right manner towards the right thing. And that means using them not against other men and women, but against the enemy, and against his demons. That's what we need to use our weapons for. Starting back at verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Even though these things often seem to get confused in the church, we have to realize that we're not at war with the lost. And I hope I've made that point clear. We have to, we've been sent to help them to the very best of our ability. That's what we've been called to do. Doctors don't use weapons on those they're trying to help. They use specialized tools. And it's interesting to think that Jesus came... And he used a reference saying, the doctor doesn't treat healthy people, but he comes for the sick people. And then I've come for the lost, the broken, and the sick. That's what Jesus told us. And they're the very people that he commissioned us all to reach before he took his place in heaven. As a Christian, we are called to the lost, we're called to the broken, and we don't need to use weapons to attack them further. They've been attacked enough by the enemy. What we need to use is the specialized tools given to us by God to reach them in their need and reach them where they are. If we want to fulfill our commission and reach the lost and dying world, we don't need to confuse our weapons with our tools. We need to use everything in the way that God meant it to be used. And the book of Revelation is a specialized tool that we can use to reach our lost and dying world. We don't need to shy away from the book of Revelation. We need to use it. But we need to use it to paint that picture of contrast, to tell people, look, here's what's going to happen to some, but it doesn't have to happen to you. You can experience the good, the bright, the happy side of it. That's the opportunity that we have through the book of Revelation. We don't have to yield it as a sword and cut down the very people we're supposed to help, but we can use it as a tool to build them up better, to help them get on their feet and be able to walk towards God. With it, we can show the love of God And that love that he has for all people. And all we have to do is share the same truth with the lost as I've shared with you today. I hope that you can see that the book of Revelation isn't what the world falsely believes it to be. But that it's a great letter of love from a God who is going to do everything he can to see as many people saved as possible. That's what God is trying to do. And that's what he's doing through the book of Revelation. If you can see this, then please don't keep this blessed truth to yourselves. Look for the chance to share it with others, to answer some of the questions they may be struggling with, the very ones you may have come to this podcast struggling with. And I hope I've answered those questions today. We need to clear up confusion and show people that the book of Revelation is really not bad, but it's about love. We need to show people what this book is really all about. You can have a part in doing this if you take every chance to tell others what you now know. And you can also help us continue to reach more people with this truth and the other truths that we've shared on this podcast platform by partnering with this ministry. And how do you partner with us? We don't want your money. We don't want anything. We just want a moment of your time for you to like, comment, subscribe, rate, whatever it is on the platform you're on to let them know that you appreciate this podcast, that you enjoy this podcast, that you find it helpful then do that on that platform because that will do the best thing you can do and get this message in front of more people. If you agree with this, then please do those things so that people can see this truth, so they can see the book of Revelations in a better light. I truly hope that I've helped you today. I almost want to sit here and rehash things just to make sure I drove the point home, but I believe it was there. The book of Revelation isn't evil. Yes, it has harsh and mean and what seems like angry language, and there is going to be some wrath involved but it also tells of glory and it tells of greatness and it tells of a future that everybody desires. Everybody wants eternal life. Everybody wants eternal peace. Everybody wants days without clouds, rain, and gloom. And those days are ahead for those willing to trust in God. We will experience a perfect eternity. That's what waits for us in heaven. And what a great, great blessing. That it is. I hope that I've made that clear in this podcast today. If you have questions, comments, and concerns, then let us know. You can email me at email at moregodlessmepodcast at gmail.com. It's it's moregodlessmepodcast at gmail.com. I feel like I said that a little weird the first time, but it'll be in the description everywhere that this is posted. You can email us, you can leave us a comment. Whatever it takes, you can find us on social media and send us a direct message. I don't care if you have comments, questions, and concerns, then let us know. If you have critiques, if there's things that you think I could do better in this podcast, I want to hear those things too because that's the only way that I'm going to get better is by hearing your feedback and doing things to help better meet your needs. I hope that this podcast has been a blessing to you this week. I apologize for maybe not doing the best that I've done in the past on the audio versions because trying to look at the camera and the notes and keep these things straight. And I'll be honest with you, it's a little warm in here right now because of the new light that I've got going and a few different things. So we're going to try all this out. We're going to figure this out. And we're going to make this work to produce the best quality content, not because we want to glorify ourselves, but because God deserves our best. And so we can do our best by giving you our best through the content that we produce. That's what our hope and our goal is. And so I hope... That it was, I hope that it worked out. I hope that you'll bear with us, that you'll subscribe, that you'll stay around for more content because we're only gonna go up from here. Things are only gonna get better. I do wanna take a minute to also point you towards our vlog channel. The goal this year is to make 52 videos, one video a week, every week this year. And so far, we are on track to do that. We've published a new video every single week. We'll have a new video coming out this Wednesday. So look forward to that. I'll have that link in the description as well. And until I see you guys in the next video, I hope you have a great rest of your week and God bless.